Well, if you don't know who that is, that is the robot and Will Robinson in Lost in Space. And he would go, warning, warning, warning. He was crazy with it. Today, we're starting a brand new series entitled Warnings. We're going to look at five warning passages from the book of Hebrews. And I'm pretty excited about this, this opportunity to just kind of dig into the book of Hebrews. One of my favorite books. Matter of fact, flip to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll get to the text there. In just, uh, in just a moment. You know, when my kids were growing up, I don't know about your kids, but when my kids were growing up, they had a problem listening. Anybody here have perfect kids and not have a problem listening? Dude, my kids had a problem listening. And they would not listen at the most important times, or so I thought. And so I had this kind of dilemma because, you know, you can't just go radical on kids anymore out in public. So I, tried, I figured out a way to get my kids' attention uh, when I wanted them to listen to what I had to say. I'd do this thing called an ear check. Anybody know what an ear check is? Ear check, dude, I would grab their earlobe and I would just give it a little tug and a little pinch. Now, my boys would tell it I gave it a mighty tug and a mighty pinch but I gave it just a little tug and a little pinch, and I would just go, oh, oh, is the ear working? Ear check, ear check. Is the ear working? And they would go, yes, it's working, it's working. And then I would go, okay, let's try it again. I didn't scream, I didn't holler, I didn't, I just simply had this little, little ear check. Don't you just want to reach over to somebody right now and do a little ear check, you know? Matter of fact, ladies, go ahead. If your husband hasn't listened well this week, this is a good way to see who hasn't listened well, you know, uh, this week. Matter of fact, my kids, my kids would end up looking like, you know, they would have Dumbo the elephant ears, you know, and uh, they would just be all blown out on the thing. I believe there's a lot of people, I believe there's a lot of Christians who need an ear check. I believe there's a lot of Christians who are hearing, but they're not listening. I believe there are a lot of church folk and Kirby folk who hear the word of God or have access to the word of God, but ignore it, don't hear it. And if they do hear it, they neglect it and never listen to it. This is like a, a huge problem. I think sometimes, and I try to figure out why my kids didn't listen. Sometimes I thought it was just because of their own immaturity, because kids are kids, and, and that's what kids are supposed to do. Why do Christians not listen? I think sometimes because there are some Christians who are spiritually immature, and they haven't grown to the point to understand how you can listen and hear and recognize the voice of God and listen and respond to it. I also think sometimes my kids just didn't think that what I was saying was all that important. It was not important to them in the moment, so they neglected it. I think there's a lot of Christians who operate the same way. What God has to say to me in the moment is not as important as what I want to do in the moment, so I simply neglect that God's spoken word to me in that moment. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can put it in. In real terms, you get up tomorrow morning, you have a choice. You can grab the remote control and catch up on the news that really doesn't change from one day to the next, just the names do. Or you can grab God's word and hear what it has to say to you. Most of us consistently walk by our Bible day after day, week after week, month after month, and ignore hearing from God just so we can hear from ESPN, Fox News the Food Channel, whatever. 
It's not a matter that we don't hear. It's just we don't listen. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The eternal word of God has already been spoken, but we don't listen. Matter of fact, if you're there in the book of Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're actually going to spend most of the time in Hebrews chapter 2. But look at Hebrews chapter 1. The author writes in beautiful, picturesque, eloquent words. He says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. That's in the Old Testament. And at many times and in various ways, through prophets and miracles and so on. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to hear what God's thinking about? Listen to Jesus. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification of sin, he sat down at the right of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. What the author is saying is, listen, God spoke in the Old Testament through the law, but now there's something better than the law. God spoke in the Old Testament through miracles and prophets, but there is now something better than Old Testament miracles and prophets. What is the most superior way that God has spoken to us is through his son, Jesus Christ. The word of God has become the living word of God so that we could not only hear the word, but listen to the word and respond to the word and be a follower of the word. You cannot be a true follower of this book and neglect reading the word of God. Let's just be honest. I could tell you this morning that I am a University of Michigan football fan. How many of you think I'd be lying through my teeth? You'd be absolutely right. Have I ever pulled for University of Michigan? No. Did I pull for them last night when they lost? Or no, I guess they beat Wisconsin. Did I pull for them to beat Wisconsin last night at basketball? No. When they play my team, Ohio State, do I ever root for them to beat Ohio State? No. Matter of fact, do you ever foresee me in your lifetime rooting for Michigan? No. That miracle will never happen, people. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a lot of us saying, hey, I'm a Christian. But you never, you never show up. You never pull for Christ. You never read his word. You never do those things that truly exhibit what it means to be a fan of, a follower of Jesus Christ. And somewhere, if you're going to call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to come to terms. You've got to wrestle. You've got to listen to the voice of God. Matter of fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's kind of understand the book of Hebrews just a little bit. The author of Hebrews had a church full of believers that needed an ear check. They were just like a lot of us. They heard the word of God, but they didn't listen to the word of God. In this series on warnings, all five warnings are going to come from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is actually a sermon. It's not an epistle. It's not a letter like Paul wrote. It's not a gospel message like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not apocalyptic like the book of Revelation. It is the only complete 
New Testament church sermon that we have in existence. And this is it. It's really kind of an incredible piece of literature, and we don't know who wrote it. Some people think the author of, of Hebrews, and we all kind of think it's Paul because it's just kind of lumped in there. But Paul was so bold and brassy, he had no problem pinning his name to anything. Amen? And I don't think he would have got to the book of Hebrews and not put his name there. So we really don't know who the author is. Some people think it might uh, have been Barnabas. Terillion thinks that. Pantheus thinks maybe it could have been Paul. The Western church didn't hold that position. Origen thought, and these are Old Testament or early church historians thought that uh, it might have been Clement of Rome or even Luke, while other scholarship thinks that Apollos is a likely possibility. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. What we do know that, man, this guy knew the word of God. This guy had spent some time, that, uh, and he was quite the guy. He was a dynamic preacher. He was a compassionate pastor. He was highly skilled in Old Testament uh, theology. He understood and, and maybe understood academically classical Greek literature and the classical Greek language. He understood the nuances of, of theology. He under, understood the nuances of the language. He cared about the spiritual condition of the congregation. And the specific identity of the author is unknown. And really, we don't even know the specific identity of that early church. Some people, we do know it was a house church. They didn't meet in churches like we meet in until around 300 AD. We do know it was a house church. And the house church might have been around Jerusalem. Most people think it was outside of Rome, kind of in the Southern Hills section outside of Rome. Wherever it was, he was passionate about his followers. And it was probably written around 71 or 65, 65 to 70 AD before the, fall of, before the fall of Jerusalem, which was a monumental day in biblical New Testament terms. In these warning passages that we're going to look at, there's four things that are always represented. Here are the four things. The audience, the sin or sins, the consequences of the sins, and an exhortation. They don't always come in that order, but you can guarantee that in all five of these warnings, the audience is addressed. A sin is specifically you know, identified or sins, that the consequences of those sins are implied or specifically stated, and that we also understand that he gives hope. He gives this word of encouragement, this word of exhortation, and that's really kind of a cool thing. Let me just kind of turn your attention now to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Matter of fact, let's just read it together, would you? We must pay more careful attention... Therefore, by the way, my these are not my glasses, so I really can't see you. You're fuzzy. Uh, these are readers, and I've, vanity just will not allow me to do this, all right? And so I, got it, so I can't see you, but I can barely make out what I'm seeing. So if I read a little choppy, uh, you just kind of read it for yourself and, and make the words out, all right? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. There's the warning. For if the message spoken by the angels, going back to chapter 1, was binding, and it is, and every violation and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we, if we ignore such great salvation? Verse 4. 
This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, there are four sins mentioned. Did you get them? Did you spot them? There are four sins mentioned. Let me give them to you quickly. First of all, it's in there in verse 1 where it says, so that we might not drift away. The first Greek word for the sin is, is paraparo, which means to slip away, to flow by. It, to slip away or flow by. It, it could be like your wedding ring just accidentally slipping off, food going down the windpipe the wrong way. That's kind of the idea. More so, it probably is like a ship that misses the harbor. It, it's pushed along by the current. It has no solid direction. It has no, no intentionality in its course. It's just pushed along by the current. And so it slips by the harbor. It just slips by that port of safety. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that, listen, here's a sin that you're committing. You are drifting along and you're missing the harbor. You're in danger of moving from a vantage point of spiritual perspective where Christ and the gospel is central to a place where you lose sight and focus of all that God has for you. Sometimes we drift because we live in an it's an all about me culture, don't we? And we drift because we want everything to be about us, right? Everything's got to be about us. The all about me culture has bled into the church. In other words, as God and the church are helping me get and keep it together, I'll participate. When it stops happening, I'll drift somewhere else. So, we, so folks drift from church to church, place to place, most of the time drifting further from their commitment to Christ. So they blame the church, they blame the preacher, when the truth is they lack a solid foundation and understanding of God's word, and they drift. Let me kind of show you how this thing kind of works, I think. And by the way, this is your PowerPoint for the day. All right? And so here it is. You get saved. And man, when you get saved, man, you have passion, don't you? And you have commitment. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how to spell commitment. I'm too tired. All right? It, it, there you go. It's just there. You have passion and you have commitment. Man, you are just fired up. Man, you are sold out. You can't get enough of God's word. You read the gospel of John and the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John again and the gospel of Matthew and you go to the book of Revelation. Well, that's a little tricky. So you go back to the gospels. But the point is you're reading it. Man, you're buying all kinds, downloading all kinds of iTunes and all kinds of stuff on your iPad, iPhone, I whatever, just so that you get it and so that you hear it, so that it's just kind of flooding you and flooding your home and it's just everywhere. Man, you are on fire and you are passionate and life is good and God is close and you hear the voice of God and the preacher preaches and man, it's right to you. The singers sing and it blesses you right in your soul and man, life is good when you're here. Problem is, you got to work hard to stay there. Amen? 
Man, you you got to work hard. You don't naturally stay here because the tendency spiritually is to drift. Because what happens is we go to this next layer, and the next layer is some kind of life change. Our teenagers are passionate when they come come through our youth ministry, then they go off to college and it's a life change. And then they flounder and struggle for a multitude of reasons. You get married and there's a life change. There's this shift. And so you begin to drift a little bit because there are other concerns now that take your place. You, you, you're not against God. You're not necessarily for God. You just kind of, it's a good thing. And, and I know it and I've read my Bible and I know those songs and I love the church and I go to church and I hear it but I don't listen to it. You understand what I'm saying? You have this this life concern, but there's no passion. There's little joy. It's just kind of out of duty. I just kind of come. And so the tendency is that we apareo, we drift. I don't know why I write that. You can't read my writing. I can't read my writing half the time, you know? Then there's one other circle And this circle is just kind of complacency. I don't know how to spell it. I'm just going to put C-O-M-P. Complacency, that's where you have no concern and you have no passion. And the thing is, you just keep drifting. You just keep drifting. The thing about drifting, if you've ever been in a canoe, is it's not this big tidal wave. It's not this big tsunami. It's not this great migratory movement away. It's just a, it's just a, maybe a half a step this Sunday. And a month from now, it's another step. And it's just like, well, I didn't read my Bible today, but hey, there's always tomorrow. I didn't pray today, but God knows I, I love him. And, and I'm just so busy. And, and I, just, I just don't have... The, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, he says in verse 3. But he says we got to pay more careful attention to what we heard so we don't drift away. What is, what is the thing that keeps us from drifting away? Paying attention to the things that we've heard. Paying attention is this incredible word. It's a legal term. It means to give utmost scrutiny and concentration to. Now, I don't know if you've ever scrutinized anything, but I guarantee you, if you've ever rented a car, you've walked around the car and scrutinized it for dents and damages and chip paints. If your child got hurt or bruised up in an accident, you scrutinize them. Nurses do this in triage all the time. They scrutinize. But when we come to God's word, it's, all right, I read my chapter. I read my 10 verses. I read my thing. Okay, I heard. Didn't get anything out of it. Then you didn't listen. Now, I will grant you, there are some days where I read and really I don't get tons out of it. It's not like this big lightning bolt. But I will tell you that when I don't read, I can feel the drift. I can feel the current of culture start to push me Away from my focus and my heart and my relationship to Jesus Christ. This is the tendency of all of us. 
This is what we have to fight against. That early church, they're second generation Christians. They're one generation removed from Jesus Christ and hearing him. So it was their mamas and their daddies. It was others who had preached what Jesus had said that had stirred their soul, that moved them to faith in Christ. And now that word and now that message was just kind of, it wasn't. It was just drifting. You know, the sin of most of us at Kirby Church is this sin right here. It's just the sin of drifting. It's the sin of just kind of being pushed along by culture. We read our stock market portfolios and we read the money section and we read this section of the newspaper. We download this and that off of our iPad. We watch YouTube coming out the wazoo. But to spend time and read this book? You say, well, it's no big deal. Well, in the context of verse 1, the sin of drifting, you find verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect hearing the word that Christ has for us? There is a consequence to drifting. Let me give you the second two sins. Look at verse 2. It's right there in the middle. And every violation and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. The two words there means violation and disobedience. It speaks of a conscious rejection. Of God's will. Now we all know it's God's will to read our Bible every day. Everybody say amen. Right? We know we got to read, to hear, to listen, to understand, to respond, to act, to move, to move closer, to not drift, to move in a Godward direction, not drift in a cultural direction. And so we understand that. We know that that's God's will. And yet when we neglect it, Violation. By the way, look at the rest of that verse. It says receive, and King James says, a just recompense of reward. Simply what that means, it's Old Testament terminology that found its way into our legal system for a while and over the last two dozen or two decades, it's kind of been eradicated somewhat. But it simply says that every or every sin, every wrongdoing will receive an appropriate punishment. Got that? We do that as parents all the time, don't we? Right? We understand that every sin represents a just recompense, a reward. And you say, dude, what is this so big deal about not reading God's word? Because the written word is the mirror image of the living word who is the exact representation, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, of God himself. And when you ignore the message of God, you ignore God. You cannot say, I love God, I'm passionate about God, and I'm pursuing God while you neglect this book. It doesn't work that way. This book has got to be a core foundation to your life. You can't neglect it or you'll drift. Let me give you the last sin that's mentioned. And here it is. It's the word neglect, ignore there in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect or ignore? Such a great salvation. The word is A-M-E-L-E-O, amalio. 
which means the sin of ignoring, the sin of neglecting, the sin of disregarding. The word is actually used in Rome at this time as a government official who makes a promise to his people. And then when he gets elected, forgets or disregards the promise that he made in public. I know a lot of politicians in Washington like that, don't you? He's saying there's a lot of Christians in this Hebrew church. In this little house church who made a public profession of faith that they would follow Christ. And yet they constantly ignore him. And he says the two don't equal up. If you are a Christ follower, then you will follow not only the living word, but the written word. The two go together. But you cannot separate God or Christ from the message. Theologians have tried to do that. Theologian, I think his name is Rudolf Bultmann. I can't find it right now in my, in my notes. But he tried, to, he tried to do that. He tried to separate the historical Jesus from the faith Jesus. And he would say something like this. It doesn't really matter if Jesus really said John 3, 16, or if Jesus really walked on the water, or if he turned water into wine, or if he raised the dead. What's important is that people believe that he did, and it's faith that makes all the difference. So take this blind leap of faith. Well, what's he trying to do? He's trying to separate Christ from the message. You cannot do that. This book is absolutely central, but yet most of us ignore it. Most of us, Amelio, to it, we just simply neglect it. It's there on the counter and we walk by it day after day. We throw it in the car and it's just there until the next Sunday. And we drag it out and pull it to church. Or, and we just simply ignore God and what he wants to say to us. Jesus is the ultimate word and he's spoken. Are you listening? Ear check. The author here is calling us to a personal commitment and to a personal responsibility in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his world. Now this is New Testament terminology. He now takes us from the Old Testament to the New Testament so that the message of Christ is continuity, that there's no distinction that it's one message and it doesn't go from false to true. It goes from lesser to greater. And here's a, a message delivered through the law, but then delivered through the angel. But now the greater fulfillment has come. This message is the very word of God. And if you neglect it, if you drift away from it, He tells us there's consequences to our sin. Now, we don't like that terminology, do we? We don't like it when the Bible talks about punishment. We kind of want to be able to do our own thing, sin our own sins, and, and God just go, hey, it's okay, buddy, I still love you, wink, wink, and it's going to be okay. Hey, listen, the concept of punishment is through the Bible. And one of the, if, if anybody here a Trekkie? Star Trekkies, Star Trek Trekkies? Nobody, well, it won't mean nothing to you. But in the movie Star Trek V, 
And it's not really a great movie. It's just, if you like sci-fi stuff, man, it's just, it's just good stuff. Spock's brother, who's a renegade Vulcan, who's very much in touch with his inner feelings, hijacks the Enterprise, leads the crew to, uh, to the final frontier, the place where God lives. They pass through the great barrier that stands between the known space in heaven, and the searchers find the world in which they've been seeking for. They find God. And they find that God manifests himself in many different ways. He's one God, but many faces. So to the Klingons, he would be the Klingon God. To the Vulcan, he would be the Vulcan God. To the human, he'd be the human God, and so on. And then all of a sudden, Kirk just kind of decides he's had enough of this stuff, and he begins to zap everyone in sight. And one of the last men standing is Dr. McCoy, and he's confronted by the deity, and he asks, the deity asks Dr. McCoy, his crusty old, you know, bones, the doctor, and he says, do you doubt me? And McCoy replies, I don't believe in any God who inflicts pain for his pleasure. And when I heard that, I thought, man, that is the way many Christians believe. That God is just waiting up there for us to mess up so he can just waylay on us, take out some inner frustration, some inner anger, you know, just kind of let go of some inner turmoil and focus it all on you and let you have it. You've felt that way, haven't you? That is not the God of the Bible. That's what you get when you drift from the knowing the God of the Bible, then you start creating this God of the Bible. No, the God of the Bible loves you. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Flip over to chapter 12. Matter of fact, we're just going to stay in Hebrews throughout this entire study. But listen to what it says. Start at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. In other words, you've not been persecuted for your faith yet. And have you forgotten the words of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's, this is an Old Testament quote, God's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Listen, God is not up in heaven going, man, I hope Scott Patterson messes up today. Oh, have I got a good one for old Scotty boy. Woo, just can't wait for Scott to mess up because, dude, I am going to mess him up. Angels, you watch this, man. If Scott messes up today, I'm all over that guy. That's not hit at all. You don't come home from work going, oh, man, I hope my kid's messed up today so I can let him have it, you know. Man, I hope Junior wrecked the car. So I'm just... By the way, all of my kids wrecked multiple cars, so I've been there. That's not it at all. You see, the punishment of God is founded in his holiness and his love for you. Just like a father who loves his children will discipline his children so that his child will be a better man or a better son or a better daughter, a better person because of it. So God disciplines us. Not to alleviate some of his own inner anger. He has none. Not to eliminate his own inner turmoil, he has none. Not to eliminate his own inner angst, he has none. Keep reading. Because the Lord disciplines those who he loves, verse 5. And he punishes everyone he accepts 
as a son. Endure the hardship as a disciple. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciple us or discipline us, and we respected them for it. You know what is cool? My dad, who's got Alzheimer's, he doesn't remember spanking me not one time. <laughs> he doesn't even remember me. And you know what? I thought as a kid, I'd never forget those switchings. Y'all know what switchings are, right? You'd have to go to the tree and get a little branch, a little twig, you know, a little limb off, you know, and it had to have a little whiplash to it, you know, so you, you know. But I'm telling you, my dad who can't remember me sure filled me full of memories of how much he loved me. And he says, what, and you respect him for it. How much more should we submit to our father and our spirit and live? We sang about that. And live. Where do you live? Do you live drifting? Or do you, do you, do you live, do you find life in the source of your being by, by passionately pursuing Christ and working to understand his, his word and, and hiding in your heart and memorizing scripture and meditating on it? I'm not talking about the thing. I'm talking about honest to goodness. Meditation, the Eastern meditation is where you empty your mind so that, you know, you can have this transcendental experience. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the word of God. Don't drift here. Don't ignore the word of God here. Don't drift away. Don't let it slip off. Don't miss the harbor of God's spiritual safety for you. There is a positive side to this problem of drifting. And it's found there in verse 1. Again, and we've read it and we talked about it earlier, but you have to pay more careful attention to it. The word shows the necessity of listening and responding to the word of God. More careful means giving attention and concentration to a greater extent than we've ever had before. I, I guess here's the thing. Are you drifting? Ear check, are you listening? See, most of the time it's just like blah, 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 blah. That's not listening. Hearing, listening, so that you can respond, be transformed, changed, and challenged by it. Okay, so here's the question. You know the warning. The warning is, hey, you're about to drift away from the spiritual vantage point that you have where you understand the gospel and its message and its implications in your life. You've neglected the sure, eternal word of God as manifested by the Son of God. And if you neglect that, how will you escape so great salvation? In other words, where's your deliverance going to come from? Where's your help going to come from? Because anytime you drift somewhere, you're going to drift into trouble. So this morning, are you drifting? 
Hey, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Can we just be really honest and and just kind of be right there and talk about, are you drifting? I mean, are you just kind of ignoring God's word, Jesus Christ, his truth? Are you just kind of letting it slide? No time in his word? No passion to hear what thus saith? The word of the Lord is just kind of a duty. It's just kind of adultery. You're just kind of drifting. You've neglected it. You've violated it. You've disobeyed it. And I'm telling you, the preacher of the book of Hebrews and the preacher of Kirby Church is saying, if that's you, man, warning, 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 warning. You can't neglect the messenger You can't neglect the message and still embrace the messenger. They are one and the same. Let's quit saying, church, to Jesus Christ, you are not that important to me. By neglecting time in his word, in a life group, in the Daniel fast, by plugging in and getting together with brothers and sisters for for wholesome fellowship, prayer, Bible talk, Bible study, sharing life together, going through growth tracks. I mean, all of these things are there to help you get a hold of God's word. So would you stand to your feet? And I want to pray for all of us. Our Heavenly Father, I think we're all guilty of this thing of sinning and drifting. I mean, if we just get right down to it, I could raise my hand as well. And if I were to ask the question, how many of us drifted? We'd all, every single one of us would raise our hand. God, may we have a renewed passion for you and for your word. I do believe, Jesus, that if we have neglected your word, that it is a sin that needs to be specifically confessed. If we have specifically neglected, ignored, disregarded, discarded your word, that we need to specifically confess it as sin. Because it is sin. It brings reproach to you, and you will judge it as sin. You're not going to let us off because we may not like to read. You may not, you're not going to let us off because we have a busy schedule. You didn't let them off because there was persecution in this coming persecution to this church. Father, forgive us of the sin of neglecting your word. The living word, Jesus Christ, the written word, the holy Bible. May we listen to your truth. May we listen to your word. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to challenge every one of you to do the Daniel fast. If you have been neglecting, if you've been drifting, if you've been slipping, if you've been ignoring, if you have just been 
not giving serious concentration to, then I want you to do the Daniel fast. You can do it. You eat every day. You drink water. You are not going to die. Now, if you've got a medical condition, check with your doctor. Absolutely, it is a dietary change. But I'm saying commit to it because the goal of this is for you to listen and to hear from heaven about what Jesus wants to do in your heart and in your life. So throw out the excuses and just jump all in. So Father, may we not only hear and listen, but may we respond.